This is Strange Assembly, episode 241, Gen Con 2018, part 3. The final part, Jay. The final part. There's no part 12, no 11, no 10. Three. <laughs> no, it's, it can't be the final. You called it three, not 12. <laughs> I told you I'm dying on that hill, and I didn't even have to die. You didn't even get to the hill. You didn't even get to the hill. I'm Chris Stevenson. That's Jay Earl. Hey. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there, or you can check it out on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, the Google Play Music Store. If you do see us there, we always appreciate it if you leave a rating or review, because that helps people discover the show. So we are here with our third and final uh, Gen Con 2018 episode. We've jumped around a little bit in subjects, gone chronologically through Friday, so like we closed off with the big Pathfinder Interactive from Friday night at the SAG. That would be the Sagamore Ballroom for... Those of you who uh, don't go up to that that part of the uh, Indiana Convention Center, and then my and then my my Saturday is bookended by very similar events because my plan for Saturday morning, I mean, well, theoretically, my plan for Saturday morning could have been, and then I continue playing in an L5R tournament, but that was never going to happen. So really, my plan for Saturday morning was to go around and look at the exhibit hall but as you heard in part two i basically did that on friday so i went ahead and uh, so i closed down friday night playing pathfinder and i opened up saturday morning playing starfinder just a normal old event so good old starfinder or i say good old starfinder society as if it's been around for more than a year so that was my primary saturday morning activity was going in and hitting up some Starfinder. So that would be, I think I'm up to three Paizo events at this point in time, right? So what was your yeah. Saturday morning, Jay? Well, my Saturday morning, so Friday was so busy with all of the True Dungeon and walking around for that and everything. I slept in Saturday and then went and got some breakfast and, and just relaxed. And early afternoon, I think it was like a 12.30 slot, went and did the final true dungeon the f fifth of the five that i hadn't done to that point i slept it on sunday i guess because mm. i didn't have to be anywhere until 10 i mean i was in fact there earlier than that anyway but even even saturday because of the relatively early start time like i was talking they go like the round the clock paizo stuff i didn't have an official event then scheduled after Starfinder and before two so I did, in fact, go into the exhibit hall a little bit more. We already talked last episode about Choose Your Own Adventure House of Danger from Z-Man Games. That was one that I played. I was able to sit down and play a demo of Gen 7 from Plaid Hat Games. That's Gen 7, one word, no space. Now this carries the tagline, a crossroads game. And you may recognize that from Dead of Winter. So... It really has nothing whatsoever to do with Dead of Winter, except that it has a Crossroads deck. <laughs> uh, 
the crossroads mechanic is basically at the end of each turn in Dead of Winter, right? You you draw one of these cross, or maybe it was the beginning of each turn, whatever. You know, you draw one of these crossroad cards, and it'll be like if this particular circumstance happens, like if this character is on the board, or this character is in this place, or these two characters are together, then some little story thing will happen. So that general mechanic is in Gen 7, although it happens a bit differently. And I, I liked it better in Gen 7 because it mattered more. Like, depending on your luck, the the Crossroads cards can just miss a lot in Dead of Winter, so you keep drawing them, but nothing happens. And this seemed to be a lower mischance. But Gen 7 is a it's a campaign game, not Legacy, and it's cooperative? I mean, I guess it's... I don't know exactly where it falls on the cooperative versus semi-cooperative thing, because everybody is trying to get... I think it's ultimately like a cooperative, but you do have an individual score, and you do have an individual things you're trying to accomplish, and you may just want to like have your character be better from game to game, which you need to accomplish your individual stuff to do. It's not like you lose, necessarily, if you don't accomplish it, but you don't get as many points, so your character doesn't improve as much, but... You, the players, are the crew on a generational ship. Or, that's not the right term. Because a generational ship would imply that like people are are being born and growing up and then having children and then dying. And, but you're, you're on a long-term colonization ship where people are on a schedule brought out of cryo. And so the game basically starts off with your group's turn coming out of cryo and then trying to figure out what happens and so of course over the the course of the campaign things are going to go wrong that you have to address and you have these different locations on the ship that generate different resources that you use to help break down problems that are going down and it's one of these dice worker placement games i think the whole dice worker placement has been a pretty big innovation that's really gotten a lot of exploration in the worker placement milieu of late, and I think that's cool, and Gen 7 continues to do that. So you have six-sided dice that rec- represent crewmen under your charge, and then an eight-sided die that's you, the officer, the head of your department. It's possible you have a 12-sided die to represent an android that you have charge of. Every crew member has their own special abilities, and and the way the crossroads comes up with this is that every time you assign your officer then you draw a crossroads card and it'll be like, oh, if you're in like the medical division, such and such happens. And the crossroad cards were like, you have a conversation with one of the crewmen who's under your charge. And then depending on how you answer, it can affect morale on the ship or affect different aspects. So this was only, uh, I mean, this was only a demo. We did not get the chance to see, you know, how this stuff scales over the, the course of the campaign and or even like really a full game but it was enough that i was was pretty interested in it again other than using the crossroads bit in there it, it doesn't really have much in common with the dead of winter but I, I think that gen 7 is is definitely worth checking out the other thing that i took a look at which is a bit out of my usual zone was at the Corvus Belly booth and this is probably where it would be useful to have Mike here because this is more up his alley 
Have you ever looked at the Corvus Belly stuff, Jay? I am not familiar with that now. Okay, so uh, they're miniatures stuff. So they they started out, how long they've been around, like, I don't know. They've been around more than 15 years. I don't remember the precise number, but they they like started out as historical miniatures, and then they did like miniature war game stuff. And I think they have two. I think they have two main lines. One of which is a more traditional combat, which is Infinity Corvus Belly Infinity, and then they have a more recent one, which I was thinking about because it. I mean, a com- completely different genre of game, but it reminded me of. The heel turn games, uh, Radiant Offline Battle Arena. Sorry if you missed it. That one's done on Kickstarter now. But right, that is a oh here's a board game, or in that ca- in that case it's a card game that's like a MOBA. But Corvus Belly actually has a a miniatures game called Aristea, I think that is a like is a sports game basically. So it's like a MOBA miniatures game except it's it's a sports league and you're competing across that but i have to say it, you you are in the world of having to assemble and paint your miniatures which is a world i'm not super great at but their stuff did really look pretty in the booth and that is a kind of distinctive theme right there's a, i mean there's a whole bunch of miniatures futuristic war game things out there right but mm-hmm. other than like blood bowl there's not a terrible lot of sports, and this was a pretty divergent theme from Blood Bowl. So, I don't know. I thought that the, and particularly the Aristea, if if that's the sort of thing that's up your your alley. And you did, weren't you going to do some miniatures painting, Jay, this time around? Uh, at the con? Or yeah. just in general? No, that was not one of my arts and crafts activities. Though I have, okay. I have done the paint and take before, and that's always a good time. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You did do, you guys were doing chainmail dice bags? Yes. That... that was one of my Sunday Arts and Crafts Day activities, was chainmail dice bag. Yeah, I know we had, I know I had talked about stopping by, but man, that was my only time even vaguely resembling sleeping in, was Sunday morning. Fair, yeah. So, did you have anything else on Saturday afternoon before I plow into my yet another role-playing game? No, my my Saturday afternoon was fairly unstructured. It was a lot of doing some last checking around of the exhibitor hall for demos and things to buy, and then Saturday evening was going to the the just game library and checking out games and just playing game new games. Who who goes to a convention just to play games with other gamers in a room where people aren't trying to sell you stuff all the time? Do you even know where you were, Jay? Uh, I was in Lucas Oil Stadium. <laughs> well, so what was your, out of the new stuff that you checked out in the, the free play on, on Saturday, what was your favorite? Ooh, that's a good question. Off the top of my head, I actually kind of enjoyed the uh, two-player Highlander game. Although a good chunk of that was just, you know, the nostalgia of Highlander and it's Connor McLeod versus the Kurgan. But it was a surprisingly well-done little game of back-and-forth attacks and defenses and stuff, so forth. Well, I'm glad that worked out, because that was one of your anticipated games uh, from before the con, right? It was indeed, yes. So, my Saturday afternoon was playing Bluebeard's Bride. And this is a Powered by the Apocalypse role-playing game. 
Uh, it was on Kickstarter, I don't know, last year, year before. I don't know. I lose track. Uh, I had flagged it when it was on Kickstarter, but I hadn't had any ability to check it out or you know play it until now. And Bluebeard's Bride is inspired by this tale that I had never actually heard of. But the uh, <laughs> for this, but I, I guess the idea is that essentially, right? You have a you know rich nobleman, whatever, who is called Bluebeard because he has a blue beard and. He has a series of weddings, but, you know, who really knows what happens to his his wives because then he doesn't have them and then he's going to get married again. And in the, the story the, of, of Bluebeard's bride, she is wooed by him and agrees to marry him. And then immediately after they get married, I mean, immediately after they get married, he gets called away on business. And so he leaves her with the keys to the house and says, you know, you can you can do anything you want. You can look at anything you want except my private study, which is this key, so you can go anywhere except this one room. And he's gone for a while, and so, of course, eventually, because it wouldn't be much of a story otherwise, she succumbs to curiosity and goes and looks in the room and, you know, basically finds the decapitated bodies of all his other wives. And so then he comes back and, you know, kills her too. Right? And so... That's the inspiration for the role-playing game. So you can see not exactly happy-go-lucky fun. Well, it is fun, but, you know, of a particularly morbid sort. So right. the scenario that, that we played was called Secrets Only Wives Know, but the idea is that you, the players, are all the players are collectively Bluebeard's bride. And each of you is a different aspect of her psyche. And so... During the course of the game, depending on who's in control, that player can do some things that other players can't, but then there are things that everybody can do, and you are essentially going through the mansion and opening room after room until eventually enough stuff happens that it triggers the end of the game, and then what the bad outcome is for you as the bride. And... It is a straight-up horror game. right? We've talked about Vampire. Vampire, it's a horror game, but it also, you know, there is an ongoing story. You have a character who tends to come back over and over and over again. Bluebeard's Bride is a one-shot. It is really a, like, this character is going into the mansion, horrible things are going to happen, and role-playing that out, like, psychological stuff, the supplements they have include the Book of Rooms and the Book of Servants, the servants in the house who don't trust you, and the rooms in the house, each of which has some essentially creepy supernatural thing to it. So, I I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even try to give examples except just copying what the Game Master did at this one. But, again, I mean, like, this is aimed at a certain kind of role-playing thing. Like, there are going to be some people who probably would play this and like if you force them to sit down and play it they would be like what is what is wrong with you <laughs> but if it's at all something you can get into it's a really great experience and the fact that i mean you're doing it as a group you do this group character creation at the beginning essentially not that not that there's anything there's there's almost nothing mechanically to create but you sort of you go around at the beginning and 
the different players answer different questions about the bride and who she was so you can kind of get an idea and so the game master can get an idea of who the character is and then like try to like psychologically play on what the character has but the fact that everybody is a group to a lesser extent and then the fact that it's a one shot really kind of frees you to be okay with bad things happening you know this isn't some character that you've invested seven months in and then when they die horribly you might kind of feel bad because you really you're really attached to this character it just lets you let you kind of go with that i mean you have to really have limits right this is one of those games that benefits strongly from making sure in advance that okay, are there things that we don't want to have happen in this game? You've had some personal experience or there's just some like quirk where like it is just going to ruin the whole game for you if if this kind of thing happens. And so like you can put that down in the, you know, and the game master can be aware of that and that can not come up. And that actually it uses the, have you ever played a game where the X card was used? The X card? Yeah, so... The, the idea, I mean, I, I think it mostly comes up in Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, although that's where I've seen it, although it really doesn't have anything to do with the rest of that system. You could import it into anything you want. The idea is that if you're playing a game that has more mature themes, like it's not just we're a, a band of heroic adventurers righting wrongs, right. and we win because <laughs> we're the good guys and we're the PCs, but like, like a game that has more m- mature topics or bad things that could happen whatever the x card is basically something that any player can slap down and say no and without explanation just saying i'm not comfortable with this i veto the game going in this direction this topic does not work for me and okay wipe out what just happened and move along with the game and it's like a safety net comfort thing that lets the group explore more stuff without having to like constantly be worried about whether or not somebody's going to get offended or or it goes somewhere that moves from being I'm enjoying watching this horror movie mm-hmm. to okay now I really just feel bad <laughs> sure yeah so about the only bad thing about it was that I wish it could have lasted longer my group I felt I like like I mean come on guys we don't need to rush, rush through this let's savor it let's savor it folks but anyhow, so that was it. Again, I, I there's a lot of qualifiers in this, but like obviously, you have to be interested in playing a horror role-playing game where you're like exploring psychological damage, essentially. But you have to have a right group and you have to have the right game master. But if you've got that, like the Bluebeard's Bride was, that was a, a really solid experience. I'm very glad that I was able to play it at Gen Con this year. I then promptly shifted over to another role-playing game and capped off my Saturday with Saturday like a Saturday night at the SAG, whatever. I don't think there's any nifty thing. The Starfinder Interactive. So Thursday and Friday were Pathfinder Interactives. So I, I opened up my Saturday with a normal Starfinder game. I closed out my Saturday with the Starfinder Interactive. I think it's the first time I've ever gotten, ever gotten to do vehicle combat. In Starfinder, right? Because there's personal Neat. combat, vehicle combat, and then and then space. And I've done space combat, and I've done obviously I've done just like normal stuff, but I, I've never done a 
vehicle pursuit, which we we got to do in there. And I'm like, yes, pilots. My character has pilots. That works for vehicles too. <laughs> I'm just gonna roll like this giant. I'm just gonna roll my giant pilot roll every <laughs> every turn. Well, and just I mean, I know it's a bit guru too, but like, so my character's a pilot. Also, I had picked up a boon earlier in the weekend, so. When you're playing Pathfinder Society or Starfinder Society, whenever you complete an adventure, like you get a sheet, and that right because the GM has to sign it off, and there's the GM, and the, all the players, you registered, you have numbers, the player has a number, the GM has a number, it's all in there. It, what experience you got, what gold you got, what items are available to purchase. But the most interesting part of those is that they have these these sort of boon sections. I guess maybe they're not technically called boons on the normal Chronicle sheets, but it'll be, you know, something happened. And so, like, I played the free RPG day skitter shot. You get a chronicle sheet for that, and then it lets you, every time you play a session, you can mark off one of these, like, bajillion boxes on it. And then finally, once you're all marked off, then for a future character, you're allowed to play of a species you normally wouldn't be able to play. But then in addition, there are these separate ones. There are some ways you can earn just these separate boon sheets, and then you can attach them to one of your characters, and then that does something different. So I happened to have gotten this weekend a boon sheet that is basically your character is subculture famous for something and has fans who watch their video exploits. (laughs) You're a YouTuber. You have to pick a skill, and every time you roll a natural 20 on that skill like up to twice per session like you can get your gm to mark it off and then when you have enough it's something so like your fame grows and you can get minor in-game things like hey if you're in a town of at least this size you won't have to pay for your meal because there'll be some fan you know who will nice confident or something right like and that particular one that does not matter i don't i don't i don't think i've ever played a starfinder or pathfinder thing where like the gm was like okay subtract money for your food like that's just not a thing that's tracked in society play but i don't know like it was i got a kick out of the boon and so i got to because i got to make so many pilot checks i got to you know hey look i'm definitely going to fill off both of my uh <laughs> both of my uh my sp- possible spots for this adventure <laughs> anyhow so i had some fun with that and yeah i don't know maybe maybe someday i'll have a society a, a pathfinder slash starfinder society episode where i i have somebody else on and we bore you all to tears by talking about our characters but i think that's probably enough of that for now so then we would move on to the sad day of gen con the day of endings dawn of the final day yeah so like i said i did not have to like get up at 4.30 or 7 or something on on Sunday, so that was a bit nice. So my first my first schedule thing was at 10, but I also had noted here, did you did you uh, see the Space Hulk in the event hall? I missed that. If you were walking in to the event hall from the side where, like, the Magic and Transformers Learn to Play was... Oh, was that with that big thing... In, in the off to your right yeah okay i did see that i didn't know that's what it was yeah well okay i mean it's i don't know if it's literally a space hulk i'm just gonna call it that it was a it was a warhammer 40k ship okay and like it was in two halves but inside of the two halves of that ship was a set of tables where games of space hulk were set up 
so you could like go inside the ship to play Space Hulk, which I thought was pretty awesome. Space Hulk, it is aged. No getting around that. But you know what? Space Hulk was the first designer board game that I ever played back in middle school. So Space Hulk will always have an enormous place of affection in my heart. The copy that I have is like third edition, which is obviously not what I was playing on back in middle school. <laughs> but I don't know. But I, I didn't want to. So that was that was nifty. Whoever it was who like went to the effort to set that up, and they had a really nice. I think for the games of Space Hulk, they had like the wooden corridors set up. It wasn't just like you know, oh the the thick cardboard tiles that you'd get with the game. They had like laser etched wooden corridors set up for the you know the space marines and the gene stealers to go through so you you i know you had some arts and crafts and what what would you do with that and what else did you do on uh sunday yeah so my sunday uh yeah i went to this learn how to do chain mail make a chain mail dice bag which is it's a good sunday activity because it's re- relatively low-key you sit there it's a little conference room in one of the hotels and there's people and they explain the basic idea of it and you get in you get all the materials you need and a little instruction thing and you just sit there for a couple hours and you you know as long as you you want at the end of it you make yourself a, a dice bag out of chainmail so i've got that i used that at D&D the other night so that was cool so then after that then went to do a practice sword fighting class learn sword fighting Basically, there was like, I don't know, 30, 40 people in, in a room. Everybody had a PVC pipe that represented their sword and spent, I think it was like an hour or an hour and a half moving around the room, learning different, you know, very basic sword techniques of thrust and parry and different moves. And, and a lot of it is about footwork, so you like go from one end of the room to the other and then back and it ends with you you find a partner and you just do like 30 seconds of back and forth attacking each other so that was fun and then the other scheduled thing i had for sunday is so true dungeon is friday saturday sunday or sorry it was thursday friday saturday sunday they're tearing down all of that stuff while they're tearing it down they also pull off the riddle reveal is in a little side room where basically they go through all of the new modules for the year and talk about the monsters, talk about the props that were involved. With the puzzle rooms, they explain, you know, for all of the ones that you failed on, how you were actually supposed to, to solve the, the puzzle. That's always interesting where, you know, you were fighting and it's like, oh, that's what we were supposed to do, that's what went wrong. And of course, a lot of it, a lot of it too, it's interesting that it's like, oh, that puzzle that our group had struggled with, apparently a lot of people had struggled with, so over the course of the con, they had sort of tweaked the instructions that they were giving or made the puzzle easier. So yeah, that was, that was my last st- scheduled thing for Sunday, and then... After that was over, the con was about over. One last go through the exhibitor hall just to see if there's any last shinies that catch my eye. And then went and 
there's a deep dish pizza place nearby. I went and had a nice deep dish pizza for dinner, and that was my con. <laughs> like I mentioned in the prior episode, I had the, the Ruby ticketed demo. On Sunday morning, I had a Cowboy Bebop ticketed demo. Uh, so I sat down to that, and this is from uh, Lynn Vander Studios, and they're the... They're the same one who did the Buffy the Vampire Slayer co-op game, and this is also a co-op. So I think they're they're both similar in that neither game is doing anything groundbreaking mechanically, but it's a, okay, let's marry some solid mechanics with a theme that you doesn't really have much play out there in the gaming world that also happens to be something Chris really likes. So... <laughs> <laughs> So in Cowboy Bebop, the board game, you're... I mean, we played with four, and it feels like you'd want to play with four, just because that's how many members of the crew there are. Mm-hmm. Right, so one person's Spike, one person's Faye, one person's Jet, one person's Edward. And you're going around, and I mean, like, right there bounty hunters, and you collect bounties, but that's like a means, not an end. Each character has their own little story thing that they're supposed to do, and in order to win, all of the characters have to have accomplished those personal missions. The reason why you need to get bounties is because that's how you get money, and you need money, and you need fuel, and you need food. I mean, right? Because in the like, right from the beginning of the show, right? You, it's uh, the 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 marker, the tracking marker for your food is Jet's famous bell peppers and beef. Hold the beef. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so there was that, and we, I think we were not playing with even remotely enough of a sense of tightness and urgency. I think we thought we were doing okay, and then at some point I realized that we were on a real clock and we're going to lose horribly. Mm. Oh, oh, partially it was because we we hadn't. Uh, I hadn't quite caught on how the bounty hunter deck works and most particularly the fact that like, no, when it runs out, you're done. Oh, yeah. You kind of start to be able to count out and realize that like, oh, there are no more bounties. It's not going to be possible for us to get more money to get more Reese's. So we like had that we tried some horrible long shot thing, which didn't pay off, but it was our only option left. Mm -hmm. So... We all starve to death, is what happened. Your food constantly drains down, and that's really the game clock. The bounty deck running out doesn't end things directly. It just ends the possibility of you getting more infusions of cash. Right. So to solve the bounties, you have to like get these clues, right? Because you have to have a, a place, you have to have a planet, and like a location on the planet, and then a terrain type, essentially. And you have to... When you go from planet to planet, you can't just sit there and use the same planet over and over and over again because let's say you you go to the bar on one planet, you can't go to the bar on that planet again until you've gone, as a group, you've gone to all the bars on all the planets, which then opens them up again. So you have to do a lot of coordinating about where everybody is moving. But again, it's not anything that's going to be a mechanical breakout, but it was, you know, it was within the theme. It had a lot of little references to the show, and and the mechanics were solid. It made me want to like go back and like and pull out my Cowboy Bebop again. So I was thinking like, oh, maybe maybe I could watch 
I mean, you know, I agree. You're thinking like you fall into this trap where you think like anime cartoon. It's been a while since I watched this. Like maybe I could watch this with the kids. And then like I watched the first episode of the show again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, no. no. <laughs> Come on, ben- Benjamin was well overdue for for some scarring, some mental scarring there. So <laughs> yeah, I had uh, I had forgotten quite how uh, extremely violent. It was. On a related note, I'm also not planning on watching Perfect Blue with my children anytime soon. <laughs> I didn't even know. Did you know that was a novel? No. As you may have gathered from the Pathfinder playtest comment way back uh, in, in 239, like I was at a Barnes & Noble recently, and they had up on their shelf uh, like a copy of the novel Perfect Blue. I had no idea that the movie was based on a novel. <laughs> uh, there's a creepy movie right there for you. But, all right, so I finished up Cowboy Bebop, but the other things on Sunday afternoon, I went, and as I think this is an annual tradition, right, because we, in part because we started out doing Legend of the Five Rings, we started out, we going, went from Legend of the Five Rings to other AEG stuff, and then expanded on from there, so I always uh, talk to Todd Rowland at, at Alderac, at AEG, at Gen Con, and this year was no exception. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw to the interview with Todd so he can talk about what AEG was up to this year. I'm here on the, the final day of Gen Con 2018 with Todd Rowland at Alderac Entertainment Group. And how has the convention treated you guys this weekend? This has been a great convention. We've just been really happy with the reception of some of the new games and uh, seeing all our old friends again and getting to spend time with everybody. It's, it's been a really good show this year. Yeah, I actually wrote something on our, our Facebook about how um, yeah, it's kind of nice to have some of the familiarity of Gen Con. And one of the things is that AEG's always got the booth right up here at the front. It would be really weird to walk in and not see you guys. I think we're going to keep our claws firmly dug into this spot from here on out. It's a nice place to be right by the front door. <laughs> we get bowled over by all the people coming in in the morning. But once you survive, once that wave breaks, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is... Uh... That that is a thing, the uh, the wave in the morning. So what uh, what new games did you guys have coming out this year? Uh, we actually had quite a few. We had our big game night release where we premiered uh, Magical Treehouse, Greedy Kingdoms, and Trainmaker. Uh, we also have some expansions for Smash Up and Mystic Veil vale that we brought out, like Twilight Garden and Oopsie Did It Again. And of course, our big uh, focus for the show this year was War Chest, our new bag building war game uh, with the really cool chips that we're way excited about. Yeah, and I we we have that sitting right here, and so that's uh, like it's actually got a, a map with the you know the two players or two player teams battling with the chips that you're playing out of the bag. Yeah, the uh, you play as either one on one or two on two as teams. You draft uh, four units at the beginning of the game to make your army out of sixteen, so you can have a different mix every time. And then you play your chips onto the board in a very tactical game where you're trying to control a certain number of control areas on the board now of course there's not enough to go around so you are going to have to get into a little fighting with your opponent and that's uh where the real fun of the game comes in is figuring that out and that strategy now that's something that came out of gen con but i know that there are a couple of things that you have here that are are not even out yet but one of them is going to be coming out later this year right yes we've been premiering some new games and previewing some new games including scorpius freighter which is a space smuggling game that we're bringing out in november 
and we will have it spiel as a preview release. It is a game where the players um, all have their own ships, their own crew. They're trying to smuggle goods in the system. And what's interesting is that every action that they take to either upgrade their ship or take a contract or something of that nature pushes the game closer to its conclusion. And you're all doing that on these three Rondel-like systems so that uh, any choice you make advances the game closer and closer to the crackdown that comes on your smuggling. So it's really tense as you know that the, the fact that you really need to upgrade your ship is going to mean that your opponent, who you know wants to upgrade their crew, is going to push the game even farther toward completion. So you have to make your choices very carefully. Okay, yeah, and then uh, this may not be pertinent by the time it comes out because I don't know exactly what your schedule is, but you have the the second Thunderstone Quest Kickstarter that's going on right now too, right? Yeah, that's going on through August 17th. Um, it's Back to the Dungeon. It has all the content of the original Kickstarter, including all the stretch goals, plus... Uh, an a-, a new add-on that has um, a new expansion and solo and co-op content. And people who did not back the first one can get that and all the original content, all the stretch goals. And if you did back it the first time, then you can just back the new content and uh, get that sent to you. Yeah, no, Thunderstone Quest is a, is a really good game. And the most important thing is that there's a vanity card of me in it, uh-huh. sort of. Yeah, no, you didn't, the, uh, they didn't I, fill me in. I won a Thunderstone Advance tournament like years ago. Oh, I remember that now. And yes. then like the last couple of Thunderstone Advance expansions didn't have new things, and so they like made a Doomtown card, but it it was kind of terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, well, because they tried to make it with the ability that's going to be on the Thunderstone card, and oh, it turns I out see. that destroying your own cards was much better in Thunderstone. Than much Doomtown. better, yes. Uh, so there's yeah, in I think. Into the mire, maybe? There's a card that's like Daramiric or something. Oh, yes, I've seen that one. That's yeah. right. I did hear that story. Yes. I'm glad they did that. So I was, yeah, I was, I, I had kind of considered that prize fulfilled. But no, <laughs> they, they, I, yeah. well, I guess Wooten probably. Yes, it uh, was Mark. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. apparently felt the that. So. so back Thunderstone Quest. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes, back Thunderstone Quest. Get Chris in your game. <laughs> okay, thanks for talking to us. Tom. Thanks, Chris. Now, the game that I saw that I, I, thought was maybe the most worth highlighting not not counting like you know the super prototype one we could know but they have like an i think it's an essen release called scorpius scorpius freighter that looked pretty i mean you heard todd talk about so i'm not going to belabor it but that one i i definitely want to to follow up on but i know you had mentioned war chest in the preview episode jay did you have the chance to check that out yeah i i watched that was one that i it was too busy. I just watched a demo of, but I liked what I saw enough. I picked up a copy. I haven't brought it to the table just yet, but I do have a copy to play at some point. Okay. Yeah, so I also, on Sunday, took a visit to the USA Opoly booth, and they have definitely upped their hobby game profile. Like if you had gone back three years and said USA Opoly, I would have been like, so, like, Monopoly variants? What? No? Why do I care about this? But they've done a couple of things. One, they have they have licensed ver they own they have licenses for some things, and so they use that to make licensed versions of other things like they had Codenames Marvel and Codenames Disney, and then later this year that's gonna be joined by Codenames Harry Potter. Which I would be interested in, except I already have like five or six copies of Codenames and I feel like I'm kind of like at my limit. So I mean it's it's a really really good game but you can only have so many variants. But you know, I mean if you I mean code names is still good and so if you don't have a bajillion of them but they've also moved into like original light game things so like at Gen Con last year we 
I, I talked about the Mar- there was Mario Level Up that was from PAX, but they had like the Power Up and then like a Guardians of the Galaxy version of that that was slightly more complicated at Gen Con last year, and this year they had a new version of that game, but it was themed on like an underwater level instead of a castle level. Oh, neat. It, yeah, well, so like that. I mean, that's a it's a very light game, but but entertaining. Mm-hmm. But that one was almost more interesting to me because of some of the the business stuff. Like we already mentioned in this sequence of episodes, they've had several of these Oregon Trail games that were Target exclusives, and the first version of Ticket to Ride First Journey, at least initially, was a Target exclusive, and Walmart has gotten into this like has they've carried board games but not as much i think they they have a lower tri- price point tolerance like walmart's like okay we'll carry Catan, and then we want things that are you know we don't want things that are more than 40 dollars so much yeah more than that but but so this one this the underwater mario is actually a walmart exclusive and i think that we're going to be seeing more of this. I mean, not, not that it wasn't something they, they could have done more, but I guess since Toys R Us went under, both Target and Walmart are kind of looking at more what they can do in the like exclusive toys and games space to get stuff into their store. You know, like the sort of thing that, that Toys R Us tried to do but was ceased to be effective at before they went under. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. It really felt like a sustainable business model. They just oh. did it badly. Oh, it wasn't. With lots of terrible vulture capital. Yeah, exactly. It was a sustainable business model. It's just that they got bought out by vulture venture capitalists who took giant loans to pay themselves back that just crippled them with debt that they shouldn't have had. I think you can fairly categorize it as, as vulture capital here. I mean, yes. right, because there's... there's a real legitimate economically productive version of venture capitalism. And this is not it. No. Yeah, the we we basically buy the company, we borrow a bunch of money to buy the company, and then we drive the company into debt to pay off for the money that we... Yeah, I mean, Toys R Us ended up paying like hundreds of millions of dollars a year in debt payment. I mean, maybe they wouldn't have accomplished it anyway. Toys R Us was always a little sad. And like, right, obviously, we talk about I have little kids. And Mm -hmm. you go in there... And sometimes you'd get to the end of it and be like, it's amazing how you can have so much square footage and like still not really feel like you have much. Because they, I mean, you'd go into aisles where like, so you filled up half of this aisle with copies of the same play sets? I don't understand. And they marked things up too. You'd be like, wait a minute, this is a $40 Lego set. Why is it $42 here? It's one thing to be like, no, I'm going to pay retail price to support a local store rather than buying it on Amazon, but I'm going to pay a markup to buy it at Toys R Us? Whose business plan was that? Anyhow, that was really neither here nor there. No. But 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 they're gone now, and so it gives more room for, who knows, maybe Amazon. That certainly the like the sensible object Alexa tie-in game, right? That's pretty thoroughly Amazon. I don't know if they're doing anything more than that, but we'll continue to see Walmart and target in that space. Now, I mean, how much how much is it going to affect the, you know, serious hobby games market? I don't know, but I think you'll see more of it with licensed stuff and and lighter things. And so, the right the, the underwater version of Mario Power Up, right? That's something that's coming in at a relatively low price point. It fits exactly with what they can do 
at Walmart. But USAopilia is probably their their biggest or like as heaviest homegrown game that they have is is Thanos Rising, which all the stuff that they do right is a media tie-in, but is an also quote unquote like real game. It's not a party game. It's not a light game. It's not a wordplay game. Like it's an actual cooperative strategy game about like you know trying to stop Thanos before he kills all of you. It's apparently pretty difficult yeah. too. I mean, that wasn't a Gen Con release, but anyhow, so that was USA. I don't know. That was, it was just like a little different because like, like I'm, I'm not at the level where usually I'm talking business so much with people. So that was a, a kind of interesting to do that. And to be clear, all that stuff about Toys R Us had my opinions on Toys R Us's business model were my opinions. That was not like something that, that like anyone at USAopoly. No suggested that was like that was entirely uh that was entirely me and you i guess jay so there yeah yeah my, my opinions were entirely mine as informed by reddit and probably horribly wrong so i was kind of happy with how the coverage of that turned out because i mm. i actually on my personal facebook page which i do not use terribly much i actually posted something about how the immediate coverage of toys r us to declaring that it was shutting down was focused on the wrong thing that really what they should be talking about was was these leveraged buyouts right and that's right which is the technical term for the the business practice that obviously i am not a big fan of and i was i was kind of pleased to say that like as over the 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 several days following that you started to see more and more in-depth stories about the financial and debt position that the company had been put in anyhow I also had my interviews with with my interview with White Wolf on Sunday afternoon, but we already did that when we were talking about Vampire, the Masquerade in part one of our Gen Con survey. So we're not going to hit that up again. So I I basically ended my Gen Con in a location where I spent a lot of time, and that was in the Paizo booth. Uh, I got to talk to one of the the head folks for the design of Pathfinder Playtest. And I uh, got to talk to head folk for the Pathfinder Society, which you've heard me talk, right? Their organized play, which you've heard me talk about a lot. And specifically, uh, you're hearing this interview where we talked about some online stuff, if you can't find that that sort of thing in your local area. So we are going to kick to those two interviews in a row, and then I'll be back here with Jay. I'm here in the Paizo booth on Sunday at Gen Con 2018 with John Compton, the organized play developer for Paizo. And so by the time you get to this point in the episode, you know that I've already played in two Pathfinder Interactives and a Starfinder Interactive this this week and other Starfinder and Pathfinder playtest stuff. Uh, and so first, let me say those were like excellent, always always a good time, great fun on the, those big interactives and the smaller uh, events here at Gen Con. I'm glad you've been enjoying yourselves. These interactives are always amazing to see in the Sagamore Ballroom, especially because we have 150 tables or more all running the same thing, putting their results into this one giant adventure that's totally epic. So it's always refreshing as a developer to see these, these games in action and these scenarios play out. Yeah, no, it's great, and thanks, because I know those don't just uh, spring fully formed from your head. There requires a, a vast amount of work to put together that from and a lot of the, the Pathfinder Society volunteers, too, here. Absolutely. Those are some of our biggest productions, and I've been especially lucky this year, because in the past, I've been the one who's been 
handling the development on those projects. But this year, our team has expanded even further. We've been lucky to have Thurston Hillman join us for the Starfinder Society uh, developer, Linda Zayas Palmer, who's been on the team for a while, both of them handling two of these uh, interactive specials and have done a fantastic job of it. Okay, uh, but I actually wanted to ask you about something, right? Like People hear me, hear me talk about playing Pathfinder here, and I know there are a lot of people out there who you know, are connected with the local Pathfinder Lodge, Pathfinder Society Lodge, or the Starfinder Society. But I know that there are online options for people who want to try this out, but don't have someone local to do that. And I was hoping you could uh, tell us uh, how, how somebody might go about uh, plugging into that online activity. Absolutely. We have a huge, huge community of volunteers. In addition to running things at game stores and conventions, we have a huge online community as well. Running anything from virtual tabletop games, such as on Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds, to even running play-by-post games, uh, such as on Paizo.com, where they just you post once or twice a day, and you slowly tell your way through a scenario in the course of anywhere from two weeks to five weeks. Uh, and it, you can do it for organized play credit as well. So... The way to get involved in that is to go to paizo.com slash organized play, and you'll find a coordinators link at the very top. That will take you to our 700-plus long list of coordinators worldwide, including an online region. What I recommend for somebody is to contact one of the regional venture coordinators, like Jesse Davis, or one of our venture captains of online play, such as Hillary Moon Murphy. You'll find an email link to each one of them on this page, and ask them, how can I get involved? What are the upcoming events? How do I sign up for a game or even run a game? And they'll, they are more than generous with their time and happy to point you to some of their own uh, volunteers or answer themselves. Okay. Thanks. That's great. I, uh, I know it's been a great Gen Con for Paizo this year, and I, I expect you'll have a, a great upcoming year, too. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm, I'm still here at the Paizo.com booth, but now I am with Jason Bowman, the director of game design right. at, at Paizo. And so... The game design you have been directing lately involves this uh, this beautiful Pathfinder playtest sitting right here. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited to be releasing the, the playtest for the second edition of Pathfinder here at the show. It's been a long time coming. We've been working on it for three years now, and uh, we're finally excited to see people actually playing the game and having a really good time doing it. Yeah, now I, I have to say, when I knew that you guys were revamping a second edition... I would have thought that it was... I mean, Pathfinder itself is so great. Uh, I, I would have thought it was going to be more tweaks, but you guys really went back in there and really, it seemed like, did a, 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 you know, a deep analysis of, of what, what worked really well, what worked, what could maybe work to better. Yeah. So, you know, what was your mindset going through that process? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, this is a game system we've all been playing now. I mean, at its heart, for... 18 years since the launch of 3.0 and 3.5 and into Pathfinder. So in a way, the, the playtest for this game has been ongoing the whole time. And after 18 years, you learn about all the rusty, creaky spots in your game. They're not bad. They work. They're a lot of fun. But there are spots that you, you just keep going, man, I, I think we can do that better. And so eventually there comes a point where you just hit a critical mass. And you're like, we have enough of these. We could do a new, new, new version. We could make the game better. So we opened up the hood. We took a look at some of the things that were causing us problems. Things like the barrier to entry, right? When you first start playing a game, you have to learn a lot of rules before you can start having fun. We wanted to shrink that amount of rules you had to learn as quickly as possible. But we didn't want to lose the kind of customization and deep tactical gameplay that people know Pathfinder for. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of depth and options in the, in the game. But they're, from the choices that you make in building your character, they're not just layered on the system like a thick 
blanket, right? <laughs> so the, the core of the system is really easy to learn, and then your character becomes the depth of option that you want. Your character is the complexity in the game. But that's the fun. Uh, so uh, with a game like Pathfinder... Uh, if you've been playing it a while, there you can change one little rule when it can change just a big thing. Like, hey, let's change how five foot step works, or make it not sure. exist. Right, that that kind of thing. So, what is there a rule like that that for somebody who's experienced and is doing that you are the most excited about, or that you think is gonna, you know, make the the biggest difference in its own little narrow way to people playing? So, it's actually one of the bigger rules of the game, and that is when it comes to your turn. You don't have to take a move action and a standard action and a swift action and a five-foot step and, a, and all that anymore. Now it comes to your turn. You get to take three actions. You want to draw your sword, open a door, and swing uh, swing at a monster? That's your three actions. You get to do three things. There are some things that take two actions. Casting most spells takes two actions. But it makes your turn so much more fluid, so much more kind of simple to adjudicate. You don't have to worry about, oh, what did I do with my previous ones? Oh, I have to figure this out. Now it's just... What do you want to do? And on top of that, then, we took uh, uh, Attack of Opportunity mostly out of the game, except for some classes who still have it, but everybody gets a reaction. So the reaction is how you go when it's not your turn. And we were able to, you know, give fighters Attack of Opportunity. Wizards can have Counterspell. Rogues can dodge, right? There's all these kind of fun things that we can do now that the system uh, has pared away some of the kind of just layers of complexity. That way we can just kind of get at the fun. Okay, now uh, here at, at Gen Con, you have the, the rule book itself, you have the, the flip mats, you have the adventure, the Doomsday Dawn, and I know Pathfinder Society is going to have some of those. Uh, what, as, as you start getting the, the data in from all of those things, like what is, what is your, your plan going forward to bring us from Pathfinder Playtest to Pathfinder Second? So over the next three and a half months, we're going to be playtesting Doomsday Dawn, uh, and it's specifically focusing on different parts of the game. During that time, we'll be playtesting it live as well on our Twitch stream. And uh, after each part closes, we're going to gather up all the feedback that we got from that part. We're going to look at parts of the game that we think might need to change. And we're going to talk to people about it, right? So uh, there, there are a lot of rules in this game that we're not quite sure about. And we, we have the adventure that's targeting specific elements of the game. That way we can get a better sense of how it actually works in play. There's only so much testing we can do in the, audio, in the office before you know, we're like, well, this is anecdotal. We need 50,000 gamers to give this thing a look. And you know, they'll tell us things that we could never see. So uh, you know, we're going to use that information to make tune, to fine-tune, to tweak. In some cases, probably completely replace parts of this game. Right? Everything is on the table. Uh, but obviously, some things are going to be harder for us to change than others. So we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, I'm really excited for it, right? I, I think this is how we get a better game. We're good game designers. We, we, we know our stuff. But 50,000 eyes looking at a thing, uh, they can tell us a lot. And, and they're going to they're gonna really help us make the, the best version of Pathfinder we can make. Okay. Uh, that sounds really cool. And I'm looking forward to what I assume is going to be a... A Gen Con 2019 release. I think you can. I think. I think that that's that's some good prognostication. Yeah. Such such a tough call. Such yeah. A tough no. Call. I know. Huh, weird. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks a lot for talking to me. Yeah. Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good show. Okay. So I guess I'd wrap up the substance of this by, I mean, again, touching base with Pathfinder Playtest, which was my number one most anticipated game. Kind of like Vampire, I don't really want to belabor the details of this because I could do an entire. I mean, I could. I mean, sorry, it probably wouldn't be you, Jay, since you don't do Pathfinder. But it's okay. Right? I mean, yeah. I could. 
I, I could have an entire episode talking about Pathfinder playtest if I wanted, but this is the wrong place for that. Uh, you can go see my review of Pathfinder playtest on strangeassembly.com. It's a little awkward to call it a review in a way because it really is a work in progress. Pathfinder playtest is, right? They've done their internal playtesting and now they're, as you right, as you heard during the interview, now they're moving out to see what the fan feedback is. And so I got to do a, a demo of Pathfinder playtest at Gen Con and I've since then got to do the first part of the adventure, the Doomsday Dawn, like the printout adventure, as well as a Pathfinder Society adventure. So I got to do much of that. Uh, I like it so far. It's, I mean, it definitely, right, it's definitely different. So it's it's sort of interesting with, uh, I this seems to be more of a community crankiness issue with Vampire than with Pathfinder, but right, you've always, very understandably, right, you've always got the resistance to change section of the fandom. We were like, but I really like it how it is now, and I don't want you to change anything, or, you know, whatever the one thing is that I want to change. For both of those games, right, I mean, there's definitely big changes in how those games work, but I think there's also a lot of cool stuff that they're doing with those games. So you can just go to pathfinderplaytest.com, as we mentioned, like you, you can go on Amazon or to Barnes and Noble or whatever and buy these, but you can also just go to Paizo's website and download all the Pathfinder playtest stuff for free to check out what they're doing with it because they're like the way that that races work. I'm mean, not that they're called races anymore, but right, those are those those just right from the bat really work significantly differently than they they used to. So I mean, I, but I think that that's that's really worth checking out. And then I. I ended my Gen Con for being in traffic. One of the the interesting thing was, which I'd never done before. I, I in the past I used to like just stay on Sunday night and leave on Monday, and I've stopped doing that. It it makes Tuesday at work too rough, and I don't want to like take yet another day off of work. So I actually just head back on Sunday, which is like a ten hour drive, uh, and then I'm I'm useless on Monday, so like I don't work on Monday, but then I, I just am fine on Tuesday. And last year it went pretty smoothly because I actually I, I gave myself the the freedom to leave at three instead of four. This year I didn't. And then I realized I had forgotten something. I had to go back in and talk to the John Card people and then come back out. And I got in this like gigantic traffic jam getting out of the parking garage. <laughs> yeah that sounds about right and then i i guess my my now standard mo for for leaving gen con is that i have a little mini case of monster energy drinks zero calorie and man i gotta chug those things to stay awake on that (laughs) (laughs) it is it is the one time when i just like i know that this is gonna be rough let's just let's just pre-buy this and leave it in the car for the way home because i'm gonna need it so we finished another gen con i it's 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 really great to go to gen con honestly we get caught up a lot when we do the preview we talk about this about the new game that's coming out and what to buy and this and that and that is Right, obviously that's a big part of it, and that's right. You know, that's why the, the you know the the exhibitors are there. But there's also I'm not I'm not one of these folks who's like gone to Gen Con for for 25 years straight or something like that. I've had holes, and my first one was not that long. It was not 25 years ago, but I've gone a lot, 
And there's like a comforting familiarity to it in some ways. Like there's always new stuff, but I actually on Thursday morning, I like after I parked into the garage and you can see this if you go back on our Facebook feed, I have a, I have a post about this. And I'm walking through the skywalk from the garage into the convention center, like really early on Thursday morning. And I get all sentimental and I, I don't know, it's a little bit of a, it's funny for it to be a routine, like how this thing that you do once a year can be a routine, but it's this thing that you've gone to every year that you've had so much fun at over the years. And so there's just all these positive associations with this hallway and, you know, going through that and just all, all the different places. It's all been some kind of blast at, at some point or another over the years. And so I could go to Gen Con and buy not a single thing. And it would still be great. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's such a good time just, yeah, doing and seeing all the cool things that are going. And there's some familiar and some new. And yeah. Okay. So that was our Gen Con 2018. So I don't, uh, you know, Jay is going to be at... Uh, PAX Prime soon, although not in any official capacity as I'm aware of. Uh, uh, PAX West. I will be at... they, uh, oh. they, they changed the name. It's now PAX West. And probably I will have been at PAX West at this point when you're actually <laughs> listening to this. Well, especially since this is the third one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I... Hopefully I will be at PAX Unplugged. I was at the inaugural PAX Unplugged in Philly last year. Uh, hopefully I'll be there again covering that. So, hey, if that's a thing that you're planning on doing, keep an eye out. You know, let me, you know, if you want to say, hey, you know, shoot me a, shoot me an email. Let me know. I'll be there. Yeah, I, I'm trying to swing both PAX Unplugged and PAX South. We'll see if either or both work. You are an ambitious man. Mr. I am. Earl. You are an ambitious I am. man. <laughs> I, I've made no claims otherwise, yes. <laughs> It's very nice. Not like I'm I'm not at all like in town with PAX Unplugged, but there's just mm-hmm. such a big difference when I can just shoot four hours or yeah. less up up I ninety five to get to PAX Unplugged instead of the I mean I, I would always pick Gen Con over PAX Unplugged because of like things we've just talked about, but it is notably further away. Yes. Also, I'm pretty sure I couldn't Airbnb for like forty dollars a night at in, in India Gen Con time, but <laughs> <laughs> probably not. No, but that was our Gen Con 2018. Uh, we'll hope to hear from you either in person or on the interwebs going forward, but you can find us at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there on the Apple podcast app on iTunes or in the Google play music store. We always appreciate it if you leave us a rating or review. That helps people discover the show. Let me also mention, although I feel a little bit bad about it, you can also go to uh, Patreon and support us there. We always uh, super duper would appreciate that. You can find us at social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. You can reach me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. Always love to hear your thoughts, comments, criticism, feedback, whatever it is. Chris at strangeassembly.com. You can uh, drop me a line. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. 
never stop gaming.